E4E is brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. In an effort to increase the availability and accessibility of UD expertise to Delaware's P12 educators, leaders, and policy influencers, we have invited faculty members from the University of Delaware's nine colleges to share their research. We hope you enjoyed today's critical conversation and consider ways you might be able to leverage relevant research and UD expertise to advance policy and transform practice. Hello, my name is Dr. Anastasia Pernton. I'm the Associate Director of the Partnership for Public Education. I'll be the host of today's episode where we are joined by Dr. Jessica Namkung. Jessica is an Associate Professor at the University of Delaware's School of Education. Her work specializes in how individual student differences, such as mathematics anxiety, contribute to math learning difficulties. Her recently published work looks at the COVID-19 pandemic's impact on student learning and opportunity gaps. Thank you so much for being here today with us, Jessica. Thank you for having me here today. So my first question is, what factors have you found to affect students' math learning? Do these contribute to individual differences in performance? Okay, so in special education research, there has been a lot of attention on understanding the factors that contribute to individual differences in learning math. So the research suggests that both domain general and domain specific factors are like one of the most important factors that underlie individual differences. So what I mean by domain general factors, that they are the processes, like cognitive processes, such as executive functions, that they affect the rate and depth of your learning across all academic skills, not just for math. For example, like we know that executive functions are a set of cognitive abilities like working memory. They will allow us to sort of attend to and update information as we process information and achieve a particular goal like solving a math problem. To put that into more context for math, solving an arithmetic problem requires executing multiple steps. You have to keep track of the answers that you get. You have to simultaneously attend to regrouping demands and place values to be able to answer that question successfully. So these processes draw heavily on executive functions. So it's not surprising that, you know, poor mathematics performance has been consistently found to be related to weaknesses in executive functions. Domain-specific processes, they refer to uh, more specialized abilities that are foundational to developing math-specific knowledge. So some examples are like number sense. We know that number sense refer to early numeracy skills, sort of like counting skills, understanding the magnitudes of numbers, being able to compare quantities, that's a very strong and consistent predictor of later math achievement and individual differences in learning math. Besides these domain general and domain specific skills, there are other factors, obviously, like social emotional factors, such as having math anxiety, having low self-esteem, low self-concept in math, and having comorbid difficulties. Like, you know, we often find that students who are struggling in math also have difficulties with reading or have ADHD. So those factors, of course, and quality of instruction that students have received in the past, they all contribute to individual differences in learning math. Jessica, I heard you mention mathematics anxiety or math anxiety. What is that and how does it affect students' math performance outcomes? 
Yeah. So math anxiety refers to negative cognition, like worries and, you know, intrusive thoughts about, you know, your performance in math and negative emotions such as like nervousness, fear, tension, and like physiological reactions, like having sweaty palms when you think about having to do math, having headaches or stomach ache that will interfere with solving math problems in everyday and academic situations. So this leads to not only like poor math performance, but also avoiding taking math classes or avoiding choosing careers that require math skills. And of course, students with math anxiety are less motivated and less confident in math. So numerous meta-analyses that have been conducted, including the meta-analysis that my colleagues and I have done, found like a really moderate negative correlation between math anxiety and math with like R ranging between like negative 0.27 to negative 0.35. And um, there are a lot of different theories about how math anxiety affects math performance. One theory is that you have poor math performance and, you know, negative experiences in math that leads to subsequent math anxiety. And another competing theory is sort of the cognitive interference theory that relates back to the domain general contributions to math learning that I just talked about in the previous question. Under this theory, you know, your worries and intrusive thoughts that's elicited by math anxiety, they tax your cognitive resources, such as working memory, that shouldn't be devoted to solving math problems at hand. So it takes away all of your resources. So in our meta-analysis, though, we found sort of a similar strength of concurrent in both kinds of longitudinal relations. So longitudinal correlations between, you know, math anxiety predicting math performance and vice versa. So that sort of similar strength of relations for both concurrent and longitudinal relations really suggests that there's a bi-directional relation between math anxiety and math performance. So math anxiety and math performance, they mutually affect each other in sort of a vicious circle. And we also found that more difficult math tasks and math tasks that are sort of high stakes, you know, that affect students' grade, show a stronger negative relation to math performance. Wow, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for explaining that further. I know some of your recent work has focused on the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic on student Mm -hmm. learning. So based on your research, how has the COVID-19 pandemic perpetuated student learning and opportunity gaps? Right. So, you know, there have been a lot of simulation studies where, you know, people are trying to project learning loss due to COVID-19 with the pandemic. So those studies kind of have told us that, shown us that with remote, even with remote instruction, students were projected to begin fall 2020 with like only like 60 to 80 percent of their learning gains compared to typical years. And then besides just the school closures, you know, there are a lot of factors like, you know, quality of instruction, access to technology, parental support that lead to additional compounding losses for students. But these studies are also suggesting that the learning loss was expected to be largest among low-income students, and they were projected to have like twice as much learning loss compared to those students from, you know, high SES status. That's supposed to deepen the existing opportunity gaps by about 20%. So my colleagues and I wanted to contextualize what actually went on in classrooms and, you know, sort of get perspective from teachers. 
So we conducted a national survey with a, like a representative random samples of elementary teachers K through five. And about 600 teachers answered questions to our survey. Basically, what they told us is that they had a really significantly large decrease in the amount of curriculum they were able to cover during 2020 and 21 school year in content areas like reading, math, and writing compared to typical years. They also said that fewer students who needed extra support or intervention in those content areas actually received the support. So, you know, that really tells us that students weren't getting the support that they needed during those school year. And then teachers were also reporting more negative impact on pandemic for instruction for students from low income backgrounds, students with IEPs, students for English language learners. They also rated that remote instruction, they felt like that remote instruction was less effective for those populations of students. So what we did that we actually wanted to sort of look at the relationship between those answers, the teachers reported answers on the survey and link it to the prior achievement data. So we used the data, the achievement scores from the Stanford Education Data Archive and looked at relationships between the survey answers and that data. What we found is that, you know, as expected, you know, teachers at higher achieving schools, they were reporting fewer negative effects of pandemic. They were reporting that they were able to cover more curriculum and were able to provide more 100% in-person instruction compared to low achieving schools. Together, they are all suggesting that not only the pandemic had a negative impact on student learning in general, but it's likely to have disproportionately impacted students from disadvantaged backgrounds and widened the already existing opportunity gaps. We just talked a little bit about perpetuating opportunity gaps. Jessica, I'm wondering, have the students you mentioned, marginalized students or students affected by opportunity gaps, received adequate learning interventions? So no, not based on what teachers reported on the survey. Of course, this is based on teacher self-report. So we don't have the data on actually what happened and how many of those students were receiving the support. But teachers who responded to our survey were indicating that in typical years, they would, you know, actually... They, they think that they about 70 to 80% of students were receiving the support or intervention they needed. But then like during the pandemic years, only that number drops down significantly. Only like 40 to 45% of students were receiving the support that they need. This is, you know, again, based on the teacher's report. So we don't have the actual data to kind of support that, that this is actually what happened. But, you know, the representative sample of teachers in, in the nation, they were sort of consistently reporting that they, they saw a significant decrease in the support that they were able to provide. So how have learning disruptions associated with the COVID-19 pandemic impacted mathematics performance among students, particularly those with varying levels of mathematics anxiety and those with different math learning needs? So there has been a study that actually looked at the state assessments in 19 school districts in the state of Illinois, and they found that special education status was associated with greater learning loss in math for middle school students. So it will be interesting to look at like the, you know, national assessments and state assessments and look at if there we notice any significant changes and shifts in um, the assessment scores 
for students who are struggling. There aren't any studies that are specifically for on the impact of COVID on students with math anxiety. But based on the survey results, we can speculate that, you know, students who are struggling in general, they didn't receive the support they needed during the pandemic years. This means that they lost those like valuable instructional time and support that they should have received to sort of, you know, those intensive intervention are really critical for supporting these students and they didn't get that. That means they're going to be further behind. So Jessica, we always like to, towards the end of our podcast, wrap up with some type of implication or connection to Delaware and Delaware schools and students. Mm -hmm. What implications do the findings from your research have on students learning mathematics in Delaware schools? Yeah, so teachers in, um, you know, Delaware schools and, and elsewhere, we need to understand that students are likely to be further behind than what we have noticed in typical years. That means that, you know, we need to put extra efforts to review and, you know, cover the curriculum that wasn't covered in previous years and that there are likely to be long-term and compounded effects, especially for students who are struggling already before the pandemic. So we really need to emphasize like continued efforts to find alternative and innovative ways to provide, you know, the support and additional learning opportunities to help those students catch up. That's really important. And how can educators best support students with math learning difficulties? Great question. <laughs> So educators must understand, I think, the nature of the learning difficulties in math and recognize early signs of math learning difficulties with screening and progress monitoring. We have to understand why a student has to use their fingers to add eight and three when others can automatically pull an answer eight plus three is 11. And although like we emphasize STEM so much today, many schools in the nation are much more proactive about identifying reading difficulties and intervening early on in reading than math learning difficulties. So educators also, you know, have to be familiar with evidence-based practices, not only for those general math education, but for students who are struggling in math. I think that we are sometimes often too quick to provide accommodations, like, you know, provide a calculator or cut down problems or give extra time. I mean, I'm not saying that they are not important accommodations, but research says that, you know, it takes about seven to 10 times more practices to learn a math skill for a student who's struggling with math. That means if we took like 10 practices to master, you know, adding two-digit numbers with the regrouping for a student who's not struggling, it's going to take 70 to 100 times more practices for students who are struggling. So cutting down problems is not going to be a long-term solution when they really need that many more opportunities to practice and learn. So educators must be able to provide individualized and intensive skills-based instruction, and those instruction is going to be the key for helping students who are struggling in math. And, you know, there are many good resources out there from like Institute of Education Sciences or National Center on Intensive Instruction. So, you know, we really need to be equipped to be able to provide those needed instruction for struggling students. 
Well, Jessica, that is really fascinating. Thank you so much for being on today's episode of the E4E podcast. This has been wildly informative. I do want to ask if there's anything you'd like to share with our listeners. Are there any exciting projects that you'd like to promote at the end of this podcast? Oh, yeah, sure. Right now, I have a grant from U.S. Department of Education. It's from the Institute of Education Sciences to kind of explore what factors underlie pre-algebra learning difficulties. So I do have a project out in schools with a lot of Delaware schools, good partners of our our project, you know, looking at student assessment data and trying to link and sort of look at the underlying mechanisms for students struggling with pre-algebra. So, you know, if you're interested in helping us, then please reach out to me and we will be happy to partner and, you know, be your good resource. And what is the easiest way for folks to reach you? Email is always a good way to reach me, J-N-A-M-K-U-N-G, jnamkong at udell.edu. All right. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you being on today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of E4E, brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. For more information about the work being done by the Partnership for Public Education, please visit our website at www.udel.edu backslash PPE.